Hello and welcome to season four of the Mackey Hour. I'm your host and sports doctor, Brent McLaughlin, and I'm excited to start another season of the show and bring you all things sports on every Wednesday from three to five. Of course, you can call the show. Our show number is 334-844-9345. And you can follow me on Twitter at bmackey underscore sports. If you missed any of our shows or want to re-listen to them, you can find a podcast of each episode currently on Spotify. Just search The Mackey Hour. And today's show will be available later as a podcast as well. And with our first show back, it, it's, it's proper timing. There's a lot going on in the sports world, so we have abundance of topics to discuss. And our show topics are, we'll preview the Auburn football season and the season opener against Akron. We'll discuss the recent Cam Newton news as he was cut by the Patriots yesterday. We'll preview the NFL and college football season. We'll do some MLB talk with the recent Mets drama, of course, with the thumbs down and booing, the fans booing and the players booing back. We'll get into that. And we'll also discuss the Yankees' mini skid as they're on a four-game losing streak after going on a 13-game winning streak. But we begin with Auburn football as Auburn opens its season this Saturday at home against Akron. Kickoff is at 7 Eastern, 6 Central time and can be seen on ESPN+. Unsurprisingly, ESPN's Football Power Index is giving Auburn a 98.9% chance of winning. No surprise, as they're facing Akron. You know, coming from the MAC conference, it's basically a warm-up game for Auburn in this one. What I am most intrigued by going into this game is seeing new head coach Brian Harson's offense in action. We've seen glimpses of it in the spring game and open practices, but now we finally get to see it in a live game. Under Harson, Auburn's offense will look a lot different than Gus Malzahn's. With a pro-style offense, Auburn will run a lot more plays under, under center with two tight end sets. Of course, under Gus, Auburn ran almost every play out of the shotgun except for the temporary, uh, typical little muddle huddle, quick run up to the line of scrimmage on a QB sneak. But besides that, Auburn almost never ran out of under center. It was always in the shotgun. So it's going to a much different offensive scheme now under Brian Harson. There will be a lot more plays under center in the single back and eye formations with being a pro-style offense. I do expect more complex route trees for Auburn's wide receivers, something I know myself and our callers have complained about the last several years with Auburn having simple route trees under Gus Malzahn. For Bo Nix, he will be getting the start for Auburn at quarterback. Brian Harson has said that LSU transfer uh, TJ Finley has pushed Nix as there has been a quarterback competition throughout summer and fall camp. But with Finley, at least, Auburn has a solid plan B if Nick struggles or gets injured. So it's the first real pressure Bo Nix has behind him, as he had no real pressure behind him last year with Grant Lloyds as backup quarterback. Obviously, as a freshman, he had some pressure with Joey Gatewood, but that subsided when Gatewood transferred. So now with Finley behind him now, there's a lot more pressure for Bo Nix to perform. This will be the third offensive coordinator for Bo Nix. I'm optimistic with Mike Bobo as a new offensive coordinator. Bobo has had success in the past, and has been credited with helping develop Matthew Stafford at Georgia. One thing I expect to remain the same for Auburn's offense, I know we've been talking about all the things that are going to be different between Harson and Mike Bobo's offense compared to what we've seen the last eight-plus years with Gus Malzahn. The one thing I think that will still be the same is that Auburn's, will, Auburn's offense will be a run-first team. With Tank Bigsby coming off his SEC Freshman of the Year season, I think Auburn will rely heavily on Bigsby. And Auburn is a great spot with senior Sean Shivers as a number two running back. As Shivers would be a starting running back on several SEC teams, but of course at Auburn he'll be the backup, change of pace back behind Tank Bigsby. 
And I do expect that Shivers, as the second running back, will get around 10 carries per game. And obviously, he can be a return threat with his speed. And he's also great catching out of the backfield. So I think Shivers will still have a pretty uh, large pretty large role in this offense as a number two running back. As for Auburn's defense, it will yet again be the strength of Auburn's team. Former Vanderbilt head coach Derek Mason comes in as a new defense coordinator with a 3-4 scheme that will at times adapt to a 4-3. Auburn's defense is led by senior linebackers Jacoby McLean and junior Owen Papo. McLean and Papo both fit the physical skill set of what your linebackers, what you want them to be in today's game, with their ability to cover well in the passing game, with their speed and athleticism. And since Papo, he started as a freshman. This is now his third year starting, and he came in as a five-star recruit. So Kobe McLean has developed very nicely. This is his third year starting as well. So I think Auburn's got two great leaders in the middle of their defense. And it cannot be forgotten that Chandler Wooten comes back as an outside linebacker after he opted out of last season due to COVID. In the secondary, Auburn returns starters Roger McCreary at cornerback and safety Smoke Monday. So we got two leaders in the secondary. McCreary, I think, is developing into one of the better cornerbacks in the SEC. He could have declared for the NFL draft this past year, but probably would have been a second or third day pick. So he has the potential to improve his draft stock as a senior this year. And I think if he does, I think he could be a second round pick if he continues to develop well uh, at Auburn. This will be the, th- the third season in starting for McCreary. And the Smoke Monday, this will be his third year starting as well in the back end for Auburn's defense. For Auburn's uh, defensive line, their pass rush will really come from Derek Hall and Kobe Wooden. I think Wooden has the potential to have a breakout season as a sophomore. He started every game as a freshman last season. And last year, he was third in the SEC with nine and a half tackles for loss and also had four sacks. And that was from more so a defensive tackle position. This year, it looks like Derek Mason is having Wooden work out more on the outside part of the defensive line at the defensive end position. So it will allow uh, Wooden to get a lot more one-on-one uh, matchups against opposing teams' offensive tackles. But I think Wooden has potential to have a breakout year for Auburn this season. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we will go in, just continue to discuss throughout the show, uh, previewing Auburn's season, and of course, uh, improve this game against Akron. But we'll also go into the big uh, former Auburn quarterback news with Cam Newton as he was released by the Patriots yesterday. Surprised move there as they go with Mac Jones as their starting quarterback. We'll go into that, but we'll also go into some Mets and Yankees news. Mets have, there's always drama with the Mets. We'll go into that, and the Yankees have been playing pretty well as of late, but now they're going a little skid. We'll discuss there, and then we'll also go into some NFL news with, uh, obviously, the Dolphins have been connected with some Deshaun Watson rumors. Uh, Those got shot down yesterday. We'll go into all the talk about that. I'll give my opinion of where I stand on that, and we'll also preview the NFL season, which starts next Thursday with the Buccaneers, the defending Super Bowl champions, hosting the Dallas Cowboys. So we're going to take a break, but we'll come back in just a few minutes. You're listening to the Mackey Hour on WEGL 91.1 FM, and I'm your host, Brent McLaughlin. Hello, and welcome back to the Mackey Hour. I'm your host and sports doctor, Brent McLaughlin. And you know with that music, the Yellowstone theme, you know we have a particular caller calling in, but before we get to him, I got a quick sound to play as before we go into our Mets topic. 
Baez, the winning run at first. First pitch. Swing and a ground ball. Base hit going into left field. The Mets have tied it. Alonso scores. Digging for third is Baez. The ball is bobbled. Baez coming around third. Alfaro short of the plate. The slide. The ball gets away. The Mets win. The Mets win. Put it in the box. The Mets come back from trailing 5-1 in the ninth inning. A single and an error in left field has won the game for the Mets. Michael Conforto gets the hit. Howie Rose on the call from Mets Radio on WCBS 880 in New York. And, of course, that came. it was the Mets' first game after the whole thumbs-down drama. Uh, and we're going to go into it in just a second here as we introduce our caller, Stanley, with a C, his return. And, Stanley, where are you calling from today? Oh, I don't know. Parts, parts unknown, whereabouts unknown. But, uh, actually, today I am calling in from Detroit. From Detroit? Where, where in Detroit you said, Stanley? I'm, I'm, I'm standing outside Tiger Stadium. Oh, looking at the, the Tiger. Oh, very nice. Very nice, Stanley. Very nice. Around that downtown I was area. I about sending a picture of the big Tigers they have outside the stadium and sending it to you and maybe confusing you and letting you think that I was uh, on campus at Auburn. You could pull it off because, you know, there is that Tiger statue outside uh, Jordan-Hare Stadium, so you could have pulled it off on me, Stanley. I, w- I would have been on red alert if, the, if you sent me that. So it, it's been a long time since, since we've talked. What, what happened? Uh, I've been trying to tell my listeners, my, my followers, to turn, tune into your show, and we haven't heard from you in months. Yes, you know, there was the, the summer break, Stanley, of course. Um, I've been paying attention to my sports news, but uh, there was the summer is break, that, Stanley. Is that what they're calling it, or is that a, a nice way of saying contractual dispute between you and the radio station? <laughs> Funny you say that. You made me chuckle there, Stanley, but there, there was no contractual dispute. It was just a, a natural summer break. Well, we are back better than ever for this uh, in the fall here. Well, good. I'm glad. So now I can evangelize the rest of the country uh, with the Mackey Hour and all its, its great insights. I love it, Stanley. I love it. I know you're one of our, our biggest supporters and one of the people that spreads the word about the show. We really appreciate it. Yes. Yes. I, I'm a preacher for the, the Mackey Hour. Uh, but getting into it, I, I want to talk about the Mets. I know before you are quote-unquote, summer break or contractual dispute, as I like to call it. The, the Mets were, were trending in one direction. I think they were in first place. This would have been back in May. Correct. The Yankees were going in an opposite direction. They were sinking and continued sinking most of the summer up until recently and have been obviously been pretty hot. Uh, but now there's this whole big thing, you know, with the, the tweets from the ownership and the thumbs down and they're, they're not producing and the general – now the second general manager is having issues. So – What's going on with the Mets right now? Yes, I, this is what it's like being a Mets fan. There's literally always something. Um, you know, and like as you first addressed, the Mets were in, had been in first place since early May, and they were in first place for over 90 days, so three months, until two weeks ago when they went on that, you know, the Mets won that horrible stretch. And this was the schedule makers did the Mets no favor of having the Mets play the Dodgers and Giants for 13 straight games. Mets won two of those games. They went 2-11 in that stretch. Horrible stretch there by the Mets, facing two best teams in baseball. So they had a four-and-a-half game lead at the start of that. And now, as of a few days ago, we're seven-and-a-half games behind the Braves in first place in the National League, National League East. And obviously throughout the season, the Mets have been booed a lot, particularly the offensive players. Even when the Mets were winning, offensive players such as Michael Conforto, Francisco Lindor, have both significantly underperformed to their usual stat lines this year. 
And, of course, they made the trade at the trade deadline for Javi Baez, who, when he first came in, made a nice little spark at a home run in his first game as a Met, and then he got hurt soon after that. He's just come back a week or so ago, but he has not played well. And then him coming out publicly the thumbs other day. With the, that's where it brings us now to the thumbs down, which, ironically, the Mets have been doing this thumbs down thing since the first week of August, but no one really knew what it was about. Uh, everyone thought it was just maybe them ripping off the Yankees some down thing from the a few Yankees years ago. Used to do that years ago. Exactly, and that was just in response to a, a, a fan doing a thumbs down. They're just doing that for fun. So if people thought the Mets were doing a rip off of that, turns out Baez <laughs> opens the can of worms and says, "Oh, we're doing thumbs down. That's our way of booing the fans for booing us. So when we do well, we're gonna do thumbs down to the fans." Which I'm not the biggest boo guy. I'm not the biggest fan of booing. Players at games, I don't, I don't really do it. But whoa, 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 why not? We're paying these guys millions of oh, dollars. Don't, don't get me. They're entertainers. Don't get me. I, I mean, what, what are you talking about? Stanley, if I Stanley, do a movie, Stanley, you cut. Liam Neeson does a terrible job. I will write a terrible <laughs> review that Liam Neeson sucked in that movie. Oh, Sta- I mean, <laughs> Stanley, you, you're cutting me off. I was gonna get to my my point. So I'm saying personally, I am not the biggest boo guy that I'm gonna actually boo at a game. But I totally understand the frustration. Like I'm frustrated myself. I'm not necessarily going to boo at the game, but I'm still unhappy that, you know, Francisco Lindor, Javier Baez, Michael Conforto are underperforming. But I'm totally in favor, and I think it's fine for fans to boo players. It, does it really help them, like mentally? Not necessarily, but I think it's right. Uh, it's a way of voicing displeasure of their performance, and I've not been happy with the way they played. So I am totally on the fan side of, like, you got to be kidding me that you're complaining about being booed, which they, especially, you know, Lindor... You know, when he got traded and signed a 10-year deal, he kind of knew what he was signing up for, that in New York, when you don't perform, you're going to get booed. And it's not just for the Mets. It goes for the Yankees. As you know, as a Yankee fan, Stanley, Giancarlo Stanton has been booed a bunch of times the last several years when he has struggled. Yeah, and, and, he's, never, and he's never said anything. Exactly. You know, I don't even like the guy, but he has never said anything. Very true. how much we boo him. Exactly. Well, he, Gary Sanchez never says anything about how much he gets booed. He gets booed a lot, too. Exactly. So I think I think it's totally ridiculous for them to complain about it. Can they think? Can they be unhappy that they're getting booed internally? Sure, fine. But to voice that publicly, I think that's a horrible thing to do. And I don't know what they they thought the fans were going to be okay when they said that. They didn't think the fans were going to be pissed off when you say, "Oh, our thumbs down is booing you." And like you said, the fans are the ones that are supporting them and going to games and spending money. And they're you know they're getting, they're millionaires. So I think it's okay to boo the players when they're not performing to their potential. So. I'm totally on the, the the fan side with this. And just to throw out also, of course, there's the Derek Jeter quote from 2004, who obviously you, Derek Jeter you can, internally was not a fan of getting booed, but he said publicly in an interview, like, oh, the fans totally have the right to boo. I would boo myself with the way we're playing. It was during a stretch when the Yankees were struggling in the 2004 season. But it just shows that you cannot complain about boo- getting booed publicly, especially when you're not playing well and you're hitting 220. Like, Francisco Lindor, for example, because obviously Baez and Lindor are buddy-buddy, and Lindor was went to ownership to Steve Cohen before the trade deadline, wanting the team to trade for Baez, and then Baez comes in, and so obviously they're the two co-authors of the Thumbs Down. Kevin Pillar had been doing it as well, but then he came out on Twitter saying, oh, nothing but love for Mets fans, yada, yada. So it's really Baez and Lindor. It's the Mets. This is just the Mets being the Mets. Come on, we all know. We all know what's going on here. This is typical Mets implosion. I know that yeah, the one GM before the season has to resign. Now your current GM's in legal trouble. 
Yeah, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. Like a moron. We'll get to that in a few minutes about uh, Zach Scott, the Mets acting GM. Because what I'm going to first say is, I know some people thought, like, I, I will say, um, Jeff Passan, who I kind of get really annoyed on Twitter because I feel like he acts like a know-it-all. He's a, he's a very good MLB he's a, insider. He's a robot. He's, he's a, a robot. He's a robot. I agree. Look, he said, like, so obviously Sandy Alderson, the Mets president, quickly on – so this all – Bias said publicly the thumbs down thing is booing the fans on Sunday afternoon. Sunday night, Sandy Alderson came out with a team statement and said, in words uh, about Javi Bias stated that his thumbs down gesture during the game was a message to fans who recently have booed him and other players before poor performance. These comments and any gestures by him or other players with a similar intent are totally unacceptable and will not be tolerated. And I thought that was perfectly fine for Sandy Alderson to say. And then the, his last paragraph was, Mets fans are loyal, passionate, knowledgeable, and more than willing to express themselves. We love them for every one of these qualities. And then, Z- and then Jeff Passan on Twitter says, like, that last paragraph from Sandy Allison just I find really funny. I don't know why he felt like he had to include that. And I just, like you said, he's a human robot, Jeff Passan. I think it was totally fine what Sandy Allison said in this statement. I think it had to be said because the way the fan base was all riled up after what Bias said. And, of course, Steve Cohen, in an interview with the New York Post, said that the players hit a third rail by criticizing the fans, and it's unacceptable. I know you're referring to the tweet Steve Cohen made a few weeks ago that he's saying, how could players, professional hitters, be so undisciplined at the plate? Um, well, how could, how could a professional hedge fund manager you know, lose their ass investing in GameStop, or GameStop, Steve Cohen? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I, I see I what you're saying, but I think... <laughs> I know I, we won't go full into that. I know you're referring to when the whole, <laughs> the whole GameStop yeah. drama happened. He was I, in the thick I of it. I think he's grossly overrated as an owner. He just has a lot of money. He now has a lot less money than what he used to have because of the GameStop short squeeze. And now he's just out there tweeting and saying all these things. And you know, well, I, mean, I, I agree I, that they. That, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Mikey, our man. Like I see what you're saying. I think no, you go first because what you're going to say. I'm going to. I have a follow up to what you're going to say. So continue, Stanley. You know, I, I think. I mean, I don't think he's a bad owner or anything, but I think he does need to show. He, he should probably lay off the Twitter and and this stuff. I mean, obviously they fired the hitting coach. I, I know about that. And obviously the the team's undisciplined, and and that's fine. I agree with that, but. He shouldn't just tweet out there like he's a fan. He should go down in the locker room and say something. I mean, that's the way he'll actually, you know, affect change. But just tweeting about them is not going to do anything. So I, I think he should actually talk to the coaches and the players if, if he is so concerned. I, I think that's a fair thing to say that, yeah, he shouldn't be tweeting from afar that if he's going to say it to them, say it to their face. I think that's a fair fair argument, Stanley. I think it is. I know he's gone. I mean, George, George Steinbrenner would, would have been down there in the locker room if he was, you know, upset. That is true. But that was the whole thing is like how people were criticizing Steve Cohen for – Tweeting this, but then everyone's like, you know, George Steinbrenner, you know, if the Yankees would always get mad and publicly criticize the team. So I think it was fine for Steve Cohen. I think it's a sign of showing that ownership, you know, you know, cares about the team and shows some passion, which is different from what we've seen from the Wilpons, well, who were just hit it in the curtain, behind the curtain. There's a difference. George Steinbrenner was saying it in front of the cameras or saying it in the locker room, but, but you knew that he was saying it. Steve Cohen doesn't even, he, he's just saying it, he's just tweeting it. I mean, He's hiding behind an electronic device. If he feels this way, he needs to go out there and say it. I, I just think he's just hiding behind a, you know, it's like hiding behind a text message instead of giving someone a phone call or meeting them in person. I, I just think it's really, really weak. 
if he it, feels that way, he should say it in person to everybody. Fair argument, because I don't disagree with what he's saying. But yeah, the delivery could have been better. I do agree. But you know, he's, he also went positive. You know, after the big win, the walk-off win yesterday, because we played that sound. That was the first Mets game since this whole drama against the Marlins. The Mets were down by four runs, entering the bottom of the ninth, rallied and came all the way back. And how fitting it was that it was down by a run, runner on first, two outs. Baez, Javi Baez was the runner on first. And Michael Conforto hits that single to left field. And Baez, of all people, scores from first uh, for the winning run. It was first and third, actually. So Pete Alonso scored, and then Baez came in for the winning run. And then, uh, you know, Steve Cohen took the, uh, the positive route on Twitter. He said, uh, well, for the first thing he said before the game was, glad to hear our players apologizing to the fans. Let's get behind our players today and go out and win two today. And after the walk-off, he said, sometimes baseball can be pure joy. I'm so happy for the players. So, you know, he, he took the positive side, too, Why on Twitter. Why is he tweeting so much? I, I, Who cares? I guess he maybe felt like he had maybe felt like he had to make up for being so negative on Twitter and criticizing. And I think it was good. I, Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor said the right things before the game yesterday in their apology. They said the right things. And now the funny thing is how Baez, who when the Mets made that trade for him, he's on an expiring contract. I think everyone, including myself, anticipated that the Mets would try to re-sign him in the offseason. But after that, what he said, those comments, I thought it was highly unlikely. Um, I'm trying not to be too knee-jerk reactionary that, oh, all because he had an RBI and scored the the winning run yesterday, that means he's going to re-sign. But I think if he plays well down the stretch, um, things he could it could be made up with him and the fans that there's a potential that he could re-sign with the Mets. I'm not, I think it's still unlikely. Are the Mets in fourth place right now? Third place. Third place. But, but the Mets are on a four-game winning streak, are now five and a half back of the Braves. I'm not going to say they're going to come back, but the Braves are in a tough schedule right now. They're facing the Dodgers. Ozzy Albies got hurt last night. Um, so there's still some time for the Mets. It's, they're now given a 16% chance. It was 2% going into yesterday. Now it's 16% chance of making the playoffs. Not saying they will. Uh, it will still be very tough. But even they, if they, they make start playing the playoffs, well. the team is not constituted to go on a run. Well, that's they true. They don't have any pitching. They don't. Have, I mean, who, <laughs> it's all about Degrom. If he comes back, he he finally started throwing again. He's thrown three times in the last week and a half. So maybe Degrom comes back. Um, it really comes back to the offense, too. The offense has is, is bottom five in almost every statistical category in baseball, which is ridiculous considering on paper the Mets' offense should probably be top ten in the league. But everyone is significantly underperformed. Well, uh, the joys of being a Mets fan. I share your pain when it comes to, uh, to being a Jets fan since it's, it is always fairly similar. But uh, I know we're, we're running short on time here. So I wanted to pick on your other team today, the Dolphins, and the rumors swirling about Tua and um, Deshaun Watson, who apparently the, the Texans are going to pay him $10 million not to play a single game and leave him on the active roster, which I don't think that will actually happen. I think they're either going to make a trade or they're up playing him or something because that's just a, a huge waste of money. I don't care what public opinion is. I mean, $10 million, whatever the number is, is astronomical. So what's going to happen there? You know, I think personally – well, okay, what I think is going to happen is Deshaun Watson will remain with the Texans for this whole season. I know there was all these reports that came out after the Charles Robinson Yahoo from Yahoo Sports said, oh, the Dolphins are the front runner to get Deshaun Watson. And then that riled everyone up in the Dolphins fan base, myself included, thinking, here we go again. For every month or so, 
Deshaun Watson to the Dolphins rumors come up, and I, they're so annoying because I, as a Dolphins fan, I'm just afraid, oh, we trade for him, and he's not even able to play because of the, the obvious off-the-field issues. But and it's just totally unrealistic that the Texans want three first-round picks, two second-round picks, and several players in a trade, which is just a ridiculous asking price, even if he didn't have the off-the-field stuff. But with that considered, it's just insane. I just think it doesn't make sense for the Dolphins to trade for him. Personally, I think the Dolphins should ride it out with Tua Tungavailoa as their starting quarterback. Um, Why would you recommend that? Because he's looked good in training camp. He's looked good in preseason. I want to give him a full season as a starting quarterback, and then after the year, we can reassess the situation. But I think he should be the quarterback for the Dolphins this year. He should get more than just nine games as a starter that he had last year. This is just his second year. I was happy to see that Brian Flores, apparently in a team meeting, uh, yesterday, told the team that he's our quarterback, and then today, publicly, uh, talking to the media, he said that Tua is our quarterback. So I was happy to see that because these rumors are just an unnecessary distraction to the team. Because I do think the Dolphins have the potential to be a wild card team um, with the defense they have, and now all the weapons they've given Tua. So I'm opt. It was just the timing of this was so frustrating because I think. Everyone in the Dolphins fan base, myself included, was very optimistic and excited for the season. And in the last few days, I've had to listen to Deshaun Watson trade rumors, which I just can't stand. And don't get me wrong, Deshaun Watson's a great quarterback, and yes, he's better than Tua. But I think just the legal situation and everything, I think it's best the Dolphins stick with Tua, and it sounds like they will for this season. So I'm happy about that. But I will say the last few days as a Mets and Dolphins fan have been very stressful with the, uh, the drama with both teams. I think that the Dolphins are going to finish below the Jets in the division, for, for starters. I, I, I think the Jets will surprise some people and be competitive. not saying they're going to go to the playoffs, but I think they'll be right around 500. They'll kind of be how the Browns were a few years ago during Mayfield's first season. I think they'll be a much more difficult out than people are giving them credit for. And I think by the end of the year, two will, will be on the bench, and the Dolphins will have won four or five games. Well, that's we'll a hot take. The hunt, that, that's a hot take. for a quarterback. Next year. There will be a different starting quarterback in Miami next year. I, I won't say that. I disagree with you there, Stanley. I think – I don't think – He looks so uncomfortable in the pocket. That was last season, Stanley. But, and That was last season. And he had no good weapons around him. The offensive line was shaky last year. And I'll admit, it's not much better this year. The Dolphins are banking on their young offensive linemen, such as Austin Jackson, who was a first-round pick out of USC last year. Robert Hunt, who was a mid-round pick who was a rookie last year, they're banking on these guys to develop uh, this season to help protect Tua because that's the weakness on this offense. But he has great great weapons around him now. He already had Devontae All Parker, right. but he was hurt. And he's now got Jalen Waddle, Will Fuller, Mike Kosicki at tight end. A lot of good weapons around Tua. Four or five wins, I think that I think there would have to be a lot of injuries or something for the Dolphins for that to happen. Um for the Jets, I, I'm optimistic for the Jets. I think they will be more competitive than people think because I think their coaching change is just so— I think they're winning seven or eight games. I think that's. I think it's a possibility. I think, I, I think they win at least five or six minimum because I think Robert Salas is just a, so much better head coach than uh, Adam Gase. And c- coaching in the NFL I, can be the difference between three or four wins. And Adam Gase was so bad. I think that with Robert Salas head coach, they'll be much better— I like what I've seen from Zach Wilson in preseason. He's looked very good, very comfortable. Uh, has some chemistry built with Corey Davis More and Jamison Crowder. 
He's he, he's looked, he looked more, more natural back there. I'll say this: he's looked more comfortable than Tua did. He looks more comfortable in his rookie season now than Tua did as a rookie. I think Tua has looked a lot more comfortable in the preseason this year. So I think they're now comparable. But he was, he looks more comfortable than what Tua looked like last year. All right, well, closing closing statement to leave me with, or a question that I'm going to ask you: Who throws more touchdown passes this year, Tua or Zach Wilson? I say Tua. I think Tua will throw more touchdowns this year than Zach Wilson. I think Zach Wilson has potential to be Offensive Rookie of the Year, maybe. Um, and it's going to be an interesting AFC East where every quarterback is 25 or younger because now the Patriots, and we'll go into the Cam Newton news uh, throughout the show later on, with now Mac Jones being the starter there, Tua with the Dolphins, Josh Allen with the Pills, and, of course, Zach Wilson. A lot of whole AFC East is young quarterbacks, but between Tua and Zach Wilson, I think – Tua will have more passing touchdowns just because he has better weapons around him. Though the Jets have some decent ones with Corey Davis, Jameson Crowder. Those are two solid receivers. I do, But I still think, personally, I think Tua will have more touchdowns just because he has better okay. weapons around him. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll see. And I'm telling you, by week 17, Tua's not even playing anymore. They've moved on. By Thanksgiving, he'll be benched, and the Dolphins will be circling the wagons to lose all the rest of their games and get a new quarterback. I don't like to get ahead of myself, Stanley. I like to take a one-game-at-a-time approach, but from the onset, I will disagree on that. I, I think that is a hot take from you there to think All that right. it'll be benched by then, but we'll see, you know, one game at a time. And next, we have, we have three months to figure that out. Exactly. Three months to figure it out. We'll see, Stanley. We'll see. Well, anyways, well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Yes, always great to have you on, Stanley. Always fun talking some Mets there and uh, the Jets as well. Jets, Dolphins, always the rivalry and these Deshaun Watson rumors were very, uh, as a Dolphins fan, very annoying these last few days. But it's, it's good to well, see that they're settling down. Maybe Deshaun Watson is the starting quarterback in, in December for the Dolphins. Maybe, maybe. Maybe they make a midseason trade. We'll see. You never know in the NFL. All right. Well, well, we'll see. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Stanley. Thanks for calling in. That was Stanley with a C calling in from Detroit today, calling in from just outside the Detroit Tiger Stadium. He said right by the Tiger statue, Stanley did. But calling in, one of our regulars, always great to have Stanley on and our first caller of the new season of the Mackie Hour. And to quickly touch upon the Dolphins topic there, there was a report yesterday from Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross was the person pushing for the Deshaun Watson trade. And then, of course, right when that report came out, that's when the Dolphins finally gave a, re- a public response where Stephen Ross released a statement saying that that's not true. He lets the front office and head coaching staff uh, make decisions. He's not forcing them to make roster moves. And that he is full support of Tua Tungavailoa as the Dolphins quarterback. And good to see you today now with Brian Flores saying that publicly. So, as a Dolphins fan, I'm happy to see that they're committed to Tua for this season because I just don't think it was with the, the positive momentum the Dolphins had to then trade for Deshaun Watson when he's in the midst of a scandal. I just I, it, would, it would be just not good for the team. So I'm glad they did that. And for the Mets, real quick, Stanley alluded to this, how it just came out in the last half hour that the Mets acting general manager, Zach Scott, was arrested for a uh, possible DUI. Uh, this morning, he was found asleep in his car the side of the road in White Plains. And, in fact, it was possible DUI. I just came up on my phone. It is He's now been charged with a DUI. 
So I'm not sure if that really bodes well for him being the full-time general manager after this. He's the acting general manager right now. But um, there's always something with the Mets. We won't go into much about the Zach Scott news, but I thought that was worth mentioning as that just came up in the news just now. We're going to take another break, but when we come back, we'll continue to take your calls. We'll discuss some NFL talk, and we'll also go into some more baseball and college talk throughout the show as well. You're listening to the Mackey Hour on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Brent McLaughlin. Hello, and welcome back to the Mackey Hour. I'm your host and sports doctor, Brent McLaughlin. And we have a caller now. It is Connor in Virginia. Connor, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. Yes, always great to have you on. Happy to have you on our our first show back of season four of the Mackey Hour. So, yeah, great to have you on. Great to be here. Uh, just, do we have any more updates on your wonderful Mets team and how everything's just so beautiful? Yes, we do have an update. So, as we were going to break, we mentioned the Zach Scott news about he was arrested uh, this morning, or actually it was really last night this morning, um, for DUI charge. And it turns out that he was allegedly drink, uh, driving drunk following an event at team owner Steve Cohen's house. So... Many questions here. So, of course, it's coming from a team of event, basically, uh, or a team owner event with Steve Cohen. And it raises this question. I know you're thinking the same thing about why is he driving, especially from uh, a team event that he was drinking at when he could easily just Uber or some kind of driving service take him. Yeah, it makes no sense. We're talking about coming from an event where there's a billionaire at his house. There's plenty of space for him to stay there. He can easily afford to call up some kind of service to pick up his uh, GM. His GM has enough money to do this. So I just don't see how do you let him leave just terrible judgment. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it always seems to be teams like uh, the Mets that have these stories pop out about them. It's uh, just terrible look. Luckily, nothing too terrible happened. Exactly. So, yeah, it's, uh, I agree. Good thing that no one was hurt or anything. But it's, like you said, the Mets. There was the negative news with the thumbs down stuff. Then yesterday, everyone's happy. Sweep the Marlins in a doubleheader. Uh, get a walk-off. Everyone's happy now. Uh, people, you know, Baez, of course, when, in his first at-bat yesterday was booed, but now, now he gets cheered after being the winning run. And then following this positive news, the Mets can't go multiple days with positive news. They have to have this negative news with Zach uh, Scott, uh, DUI news. So always something with the Mets. It's, there's always something. It always seems that way. Hopping off of the, the Mets to the Jets, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen the news, but they had decided to release Bless Austin, leaving us with a whole bunch of super young cornerbacks. Uh, I think Bryce Hall is the elder statesman there going into his second NFL season. How do you think this is going to work out? Uh, it's going to be tough. I was very surprised to see Bless Austin, who is not that old himself. This would have been his third season in the league out of Rutgers. Very surprised by it. It turns out the Jets were trying to trade him before, I guess, no one, they couldn't find a trade partner, so they just released him. I expect him to catch on somewhere. I'm very surprised by it because, like you said, this is a very young secondary, and I think that's the main concern of this defense. Uh, Robert Sala is a great defensive coach. He's obviously been great with the 49ers defense the last few years as defensive coordinator. Um, but I'm, I'm very concerned, I'd say. It's I guess you got to hope for the leadership of Marcus May at safety will help out, but, you know, these corners, 
going to be sometimes on, on an island. And with this experience, I think it's something to be pretty worried about as a Jets fan, I would say. Definitely a concern. Maybe they look to bring in a veteran here after all these cuts. Maybe a veteran cornerback they look for uh, on the waiver wire who's just gotten released. I think the Jets, I would not be surprised if they had a, a veteran corner uh, by week one, I would say. Uh, that is a possibility. I don't know, but it just seems that we've been talking about this throughout all of training camp, saying, oh, the Jets should probably bring in uh, a veteran cornerback before, you know, Richard Sherman had his own uh, issues uh, in his personal life. They mm-hmm. were talking about him because his connection with uh, with Coach Salah. But I don't know what, what the plan is right now. They're very, very, very young. And it wasn't like they were super highly touted young players. These are a lot of late-round draft picks, and you're hoping that athleticism will show through. It wasn't like they were stellar against uh, the teams they played in the preseason, but I guess they weren't terrible. We're going to find out a whole lot how good they can be, especially with the loss of uh, Carl Lawson, our best pass rusher. They're going to be on full display for 17 games. Yeah, that's the thing, exactly, because that was a really tough loss with Carl Lawson, um, the big Jets' big free agent signing after a defensive end who went to Auburn, of course, from the Bengals, and he'd been having a, a great training camp from what everyone's read and heard. That's what I, he, that's what I've heard. They had a, he's been having a great training camp, and then he has the torn Achilles in joint practices with the Packers. So that was a really tough loss for the Jets for sure, because he would be that outside pass rusher the Jets desperately need. I think it was a good ad for the Jets trading for former Dolphin, who was then on the Texans for a brief time here as they made the trade for the Texans for a six-round pick for Shaq Lawson. I think it's a good add. He's not the best pass rusher in the world. He only had four sacks for the Dolphins last year, but he's definitely good in the run-stopping. He will set the edge well for the Jets, so he does bring good run-stopping ability, and he's, he's just an average pass rusher. He won't be able to replicate what Carl Lawson could do. But um, it's at least a nice little plug there. With he was a, he's a veteran with experience. And he's not like he's always only in his mid to late twenties, um, so he's still young. But I thought it was a good ad. He won't replicate what Carl Lawson did, but he'll help out there. And then quick back to the secondary for Bryce Hall, who I think he has a lot of potential there. He's a young cornerback. He would have been even ho- drafted higher in the NFL draft last year. But the only reason people didn't draft him because he was coming off a torn ACL and there there's some injury issues. But if he stays healthy, I think he has the potential to be a very good cornerback. But um, there's definitely some holes in the Jets' defense, particularly at pass rusher, which has kind of been filled with uh, Shaq Lawson coming in. But cornerback, I think that's the main position to be worried about for the Jets. Uh, yes, that's definitely a position group that I'll be uh, paying attention to as the season goes on. On the defensive side, on the offensive side, it looks that I'm sure you've seen the preseason stuff. Uh, everyone's seen Zach Wilson. Everyone's optimistic, which is a nice feeling to have after a few years of all of last year and Sam Darnold and the Adam Gase uh, combo wasn't really thrilling to the fan base, especially given the fact that Sam would typically get hurt. The offense wasn't exciting. Frank Gore touched the ball 25 times a game, and no one could explain why. Uh, I think this team is supposed to average more than the like 15 points a game that they've done for the last like three seasons. Do you do you think that's the case, or are we gonna somehow be mediocre still? I think the Jets' offense will be much better. I think it will be a much better offense now for the Jets. You know, Michael Flores' brother now as offensive coordinator comes in. I uh, used to be on the 49ers uh, coaching staff, so you know we've seen how that the Lafleur type offense has worked in Green Bay. 
for the Packers. It's worked great there. Um, and the 49ers last few years, it's been very good. So this is going to be uh, an offense that is focuses on the running game because it does come from the Shanahan tree, and that's a pr- good running game style. And for the passing game, I think it's going to be much more complex. You're not going to see the typical Adam Gase go-to where let's throw a bubble screen on third and ten um, and just bubble screens all the time. That's what Adam Gase loved to do. I don't think you'll see that too much. You'll see a lot more throwing down the field, which is nice to see. And I think Zach Wilson's got three very solid receivers to throw to. You got you get the free agent signing, Corey Davis, who was a former first-round pick, who started his career off slow with the Titans, but has really come on the last two years. I think he's a very solid receiver to have as your number one. And you got two really good slot guys in veteran Jamison Crowder, who I think is a top-five slot guy in the NFL. And then the big name is Elijah Moore, who – was really a steal to get him in the beginning of the second round with a, being a first-round talent. I thought it was a great add. So he's got great weapons to throw to, and I think we can't forget about Denzel Mims. I know people were wondering if he was going to make the team early on in camp, but those rumors really went away. So you still have Denzel Mims, who's a big body, and he's just only entering his second season, so he's still young. So I'm, I think the receiving core the Jets have is something to be very optimistic about. Uh, yeah, it definitely seems that way. They have a lot more talent there than they have had in uh, recent memory. Uh, the offense in general is a lot more talent with Zach Wilson. Uh, the one issue is always just got to keep track of those injuries because Elijah Moore has been dealing with uh, an injury. Elijah Vera Tucker, our new left guard, dealing with injuries. I think even Makai Becton was in like a concussion protocol. Uh, it's just all about keeping these guys healthy because they need, they need reps. They're all young, maybe the youngest, if not one of the youngest offenses in all the NFL. But hopefully as the season progresses, we can see some real uh, camaraderie and some real uh, connections between Moore and Wilson that we've seen in practice, but we haven't been able to see in a game yet. Yes, I think that's the other optimistic thing to think, think about is just how, yeah, right, we've seen the flashes in practice, but if we can see that translate to the game, that'll be huge for the Jets. And I was talking to Stan with a C last segment. I think Zach Wilson – is a offensive rookie of the year candidate. From what I've seen, I know it's early, but from what I've seen in the preseason, you know, his ability to scramble around if there's nothing there, ability to throw down the field with ease. I know there's that nice pass against the Packers where he had to roll out of the pocket and with ease threw it 35 yards down the field to the sideline to Corey Davis, made it look easy. He's just got a really nice flow and feel of the pocket, great pocket presence for Zach Wilson, great arm as well. And I think he's got some real good potential to be the offensive rookie of the year. Um, we'll see. You know, in division, Mac Jones, he's looked good in preseason uh, for the Patriots. So I think for the Jets, though, a lot to be optimistic about. And I think with such a significant upgrade in coaching, I think the Jets, uh, it's kind of, maybe a stretch to think that they'll, they'll push for the playoffs, but I think they'll be a tough out for sure uh, any game this season. Yeah, I don't believe that the Jets are going to make the playoffs this season, but. Uh, I don't think some people have projections of them winning about four or five games. It's not out of the realm possibility to think this team can win eight, maybe nine games. But just, you know, how things go. It's not like the Patriots are the Patriots of years past. And it's going to be rookie quarterback versus rookie quarterback probably two times around. And the Dolphins, two attack by law, we don't know. I know Stanley with a C is uh, really uh, pessimistic about. He is. He's a two a hater. Stanley's a Tua, Tua hater. hater he is. Well, you know who's a fan of Tua? Apparently ESPN 
like fantasy football because he's really high up there. You're right. I don't know why. I can't explain it. I don't really see it. I think he's okay. We'll see what happens this year. If he's not good this year, it's time to cut and run because, heck, we probably could have cut and run with Sam Darnold two years ago. And I, I don't care if it's Sam Darnold plays well in Carolina. It wasn't going to work here. Sometimes you got to cut your losses. I think that's fair. I agree with the Sam Donald point. I think it just was never going to work out. And the thing was kind of similar with the Dolphins, where um, maybe it would have kind of worked out still with the Dolphins because he did have, you know, he led the team to the playoffs, and then obviously he had the torn ACL, and that really changed things. But it's a similar situation where Ryan Tannehill just needed a new fresh start with the Titans, and he he's taking complete advantage of that. We'll see if that happens with the Panthers, and I think he's under better hands there um, with Matt Rule and and Brady, as is uh, Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator there for the Panthers. I think he's in much better hands there with the Panthers. But that's going to be an interesting matchup between the Jets and Panthers. I think the NFL schedule makers, um, I don't think it was a coincidence that the Panthers and Jets are playing week one. I'm very excited to see that game. I think it's a very winnable game for the Jets. I, I think it is. I know that we. I said I got problems with the young secondary, but it's not like Sam Darnold ever really set the world on fire. Maybe he hits Robbie Anderson for – um, at some point in that game, he probably will hit Robbie Anderson for a big play because of their connection in the past and just our lack of, uh, I would say, like really pro-level corners. But I think this is a, there's enough talent on the Jets team to hang with the Panthers and, and win the game. Exactly. I think it's going to be very intriguing, and I know – We'll go into more in-depth on the matchups in that game next week. So since we're still a week away from the NFL season, but from the onset, like you said, I think the Jets had the potential. You know, I do agree. The cornerbacks would kind of be concerned about with them going up against Robbie Anderson with a deep ball threat and the chemistry between him and Darnold uh, with them back together. But it's definitely a winnable game for the Jets and Panthers. And to carry over, we just mentioned him for a second there. I want to talk about the big surprise cut of the NFL yesterday, and that was Cam Newton for the Patriots. Uh, personally, I'll say what I what I thought going in, I thought Bill Belichick was going to make Cam Newton the starting quarterback because Mac Jones has looked great in uh, this training camp and, and preseason. I think Cam Newton's looked great as well. In the preseason, Cam Newton looked comfortable in the pocket, was making nice throws down the field. Uh, in the preseason, he was 14 for 21, 162 yards with a touchdown and one interception, which was kind of kind of a freaky interception that Blake Martinez, the linebacker for the Giants, made. Um, but anyway, I thought he looked comfortable. I know some people were wondering, was it those five days that Cam was out because of the whole COVID close contact, so he couldn't be with the team, and that opened the door, really. And I think that definitely did not help Cam in this case. That, that opened the door for Mac Jones to have five full days um, without – Cam Newton there and getting all the number one first team reps and implementing himself as a leader of the team. I think that did not help out Cam there. But even with that, my anticipation was that Cam Newton would be the starting quarterback for the beginning of the year because it would be just much easier for Bill Belichick that midseason, if Cam Newton's not playing well, to go to the rookie Mac Jones than vice versa where Mac Jones starts off as a starting quarterback and then he's struggling that midseason you have to go to a veteran Cam Newton. So I was very taken aback when news broke yesterday morning that Cam Newton had been cut. Um, and I thought that at the minimum they would have kept him as a backup because he would be a very good backup quarterback to have, but 
decided not to. So I was definitely surprised by that. You know, potential landing spots could have been, in my and I thought it made sense too, the Cowboys, because we've seen how Ben DiNucci and, and company are not good backup quarterbacks to have behind Dak Prescott, who, of course, Dak Prescott's had his own injury issues, um, obviously coming off a broken ankle, but in this last few months with the, the shoulder issue, I thought it would have made sense, but they just added Will Greer today off waivers, uh, former quarterback from the Panthers, played at West Virginia. So that closes the door there. So I'm thinking about what teams to work. Washington football team, Ron Rivera says that they're not going to go in that direction. Maybe the Houston Texans, which I think you would agree with me, Connor, are a potential landing spot with Deshaun Watson. It looks like he's not going to play this year. They're just going to make him inactive every game. And right now the starting quarterback there is Tyrod Taylor, who we all agree is a solid, serviceable quarterback, but Cam Newton's better than Tyrod Taylor. I would definitely say so. I think that Cam Newton would be a better option for them. Uh, I myself was very shocked by this news thing that Cam Newton getting cut. I would have rolled with him this season like you would have planned because if anything, if it started going poorly, you could just turn to Mac Jones and then, oh, if he doesn't play well, then he didn't have a full season. He was still getting used to it. You can run with that whole narrative. Now with Mac Jones being by himself, you're going to just, I guess I'm take all of his, his rookie bruises right here. And I know that like, the Jets are doing with that with Zach Wilson, but I believe Zach Wilson has more NFL talent than Jones does. And he's going to have to learn real quick. Uh, I guess they saw enough of him in the preseason that uh, it was a good enough decision for them. But I don't think this helps them win this year. I think having Cam Newton with Johnny Smith and – Hunter Henry, when he's like fully healthy, I think that team would have been more likely to make the playoffs based off of their overall talent. This almost feels like a step back to me for this year. Maybe he thinks it's a step in the right direction going forward. Personally, I thought that taking Matt Jones at I think 15 was too high mm-hmm. because, uh, yes, he wasn't, I think, a couple of national championship teams, obviously, starting quarterback for one, but he had a lot of talent a whole lot of NFL talent around him everywhere. And we haven't really seen an Alabama quarterback produced in the NFL. They just don't seem to really do it. We don't see a tremendous amount of SEC quarterbacks even consistently do it, especially from uh, Alabama. So we'll, we'll see how it goes for them. I'm a fan of it as a, as a Jets fan. I'd rather see Mac Jones, young guy, and Cam Newton, former MVP. But it's the crazy world of the NFL, and we never know what Bill Belichick's going to do. It's, it's very true, and that's the thing. It, since it's Bill Belichick, it's hard to question you know, the greatest head coach of all time. I, I can't really question, say, oh, I, oh, the sports doctor, although I am the sports doctor, knows more than Bill Belichick. I'm not going to go there. I think he's the best, quarterback, or best head coach of all time. I'm not going to really question him. But um, I do agree. I was, it was surprising. I guess he feels Mac Jones is ready. Um, to start right away, and I, I was a little surprised. He's looked great in preseason, but I thought maybe they would stick with Cam Newton to be their starting quarterback at the beginning of the year, but they even cut him. Just very surprising. And then Mac Jones, it's going to be an – you're talking about Alabama quarterbacks. Week one, Dolphins at Patriots in Foxborough, so it's an, two Alabama quarterbacks against each other. Uh, we'll see how it works out. It's going to be a, another game, exciting matchup to see. Uh, we've got two very interesting matchups between the Jets and Panthers, obviously for the Darnold gets his former team. And with the Dolphins, Patriots, two division rivals, and two former college teammates from Alabama, 
uh, at quarterback playing each other. Yeah, we've got a whole lot of exciting NFL football coming up in a few weeks. Uh, I know you have a lot more calls to get to. Lines are buzzing. I'll let you continue off your show. Thank you, Connor. Always great to have you on. Thanks for having me. That was Connor in Virginia calling and discuss that recent Mets news, but we're going to talk about the Jets, who I think can be a sleeper team this year under new head coach Robert Sala. And then also, you know, the big surprise yesterday was Cam Newton being cut by the Patriots. I think the Texans are the team that makes the most sense right now. That's a team he would have the best chance at starting at four, but obviously it's tough that coming in midseason and then becoming the starter, having to learn a new offense, that's tough. But he's definitely talented enough, Cam Newton, to be a backup quarterback somewhere in the NFL. So we'll see what happens in the next few days there. We're going to take another break, but when we come back, we'll start going to do some more college football talk, and we'll also continue to discuss some NFL as well as we're just a week away from the season for the NFL. You're listening to the Mackey Hour on WEGL 91.1 FM, and I'm your host, Brent McLaughlin. Hello, and welcome to the Mackey Hour Overtime. I'm your host and sports doctor, Brent McLaughlin. And to open up our first overtime of the new season is Joe in West Virginia. Joe, welcome to the show. Mackey, how's it going? Good to be back. Yes. Great here. Good to be back on the show. Yeah, lo- love having you back on, Joe. Great to have you back on. Um, we'll start this discussion. I know going to some college football talk, obviously, with uh, we just had week zero, I know, but you know, no one, no big games happen week zero. So we got week one up with some big ones. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, tomorrow night, you know, seeing Ohio State go up against uh, Minnesota. Um, interested to see the post Justin Field there. You know, I mean, I know CJ Stroud, highly recruited um, quarterback coming out of high school that they're going to roll with, uh, start the season. You know, they got Quinn Ears, you know, uh, you know, early enroll early early enrollment freshman. I mean, it's obviously a little bit hard to play him right off the bat. You know, you want to get some experience, but uh we'll see what CJ Stroud's all about going up against a good usually a good Minnesota team, usually has a pretty solid good defense. So I mean we'll see how that goes week one. But what are you looking there to see, Mac? Yeah, that's the I'm really interested to see how Stroud does because gets the starting job. And I think they made the right call with CJ Stroud. I know he he had a few pl- few plays that he went in last year for Ohio State. He had that big rushing touchdown uh, against Michigan State, but I think they made the right decision to go there. Uh, I could see maybe a slow start for Ohio State because this is his first game starting. Um, and against, like I said, Minnesota's solid with P.J. Fleck as head coach. He'll have them ready for it, but I do ex- anticipate Ohio State coming away with this win, and I don't know. I know Quinn Ewer's now there, and he's highly touted out of high school. He's already locked up a $1.4 million <laughs> NIL agreement with with GT Sports Marketing for autographs. It's nuts. Um, Isn't that crazy? It really is. For really a kid who should be in high school still. But um, right, like you know, you make a one point three million dollars. You know, you, theoretically your senior year of high school. I mean, I wish that was my situation. But you know, <laughs> you know, I I would agree. I wasn't lucky enough. I agree. Yeah. I agree, Joe. That wasn't <laughs> lucky enough. It's just wild to think about. But uh, I think they're a good spot. CJ Stroud and obviously Ohio State at receiver with Chris Olave and company. I think. That definitely helps out Stroud a lot because Ohio State arguably has the best receiving core in the country. Absolutely, and Alave coming back was huge for them. You know, getting some experience there in the wide receiver room. Uh, guy who's been in big moments. You know, obviously national championship last year. You know, two games against Clemson in the college football playoffs last two years. You know, I mean, like you want that experience on your team, especially with a younger team coming in. You know, you lose Justin Field as your as your leader on the offense. You know, but it's huge to have a guy like Alave still there. You know, you lose Sermon. You know. 
Um, Master Teague's still there, right? Did he came back? I believe he did come back. I believe okay, he did so yeah, come back. Still got Master Teague back there, and he, you know, he's been there for a while too. So, you know, Ryan Day's got some experience on that offense, and and Ohio State's always talented. You know, they're always talented year in out, year in year out. They always got talent, in, in, uh, you know, on their roster. So, um, it's just good, like you said, it's gonna take a little bit for them to, you know, get started because it's a new, whole new team, really. But um, the talent's there. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see Ohio State another top four team you know, going to the college football playoffs this year. I agree. I think so, too. I think they're the favorite to come out of the Big Ten. I know people are optimistic about Penn State in the Big Ten this year. Always Wisconsin's always in the mix as well. But I think the talent that Ohio State has every year and with the coaching of Ryan Day, I agree. I think they're, even with the new quarterback in Stroud, I think Ohio State's in a good position uh, to win the Big Ten this season. Definitely, definitely. And uh, how are you looking with uh, your uh, War Eagle, Auburn, down there? What are you guys looking this year? You know, you, a big game against Penn State early. That's something to uh, you know, circle on the schedule. But uh, what are you looking forward to with your season? Exactly. I'm optimistic. You know, I'm not expecting, you know, college football playoff. I think we're going to have our, our lumps here and there with a uh, new head coach now, with Brian Harson. But I'm optimistic right. where I think they could – I think it's possible. We'll see how the new offense does. It's a completely different offense. Obviously – Gus Malzahn's offense is always shotgun, heavy run game with the most simple route tree in the world. It was just so frustrating. It was like a high school offense. Now, now you go with Brian Harson, who brings in a pro-style offense, a lot more under the center. I think Tank Bigsby at running back, I think they're going to feed him a lot. I think that's who they're going to rely on. Auburn's defense will always have them in games. That's the thing. Auburn's defense strength the team again. Probably, probably right. top three defense in the SEC. Uh, they'll always have them in games, but Big test against Penn State for sure. I think it's winnable because it's still an early uh, game of the season for Penn State where they could – I know it's going to be tough, though. It's a whiteout game at Penn State, Happy yeah, Valley. Absolutely. It's, it's going to be tough for sure. Great environment, I anticipate. But we've seen how Bo Nix plays in these – maybe things have changed with Bo Nix. Uh, my hope is that Brian Harson and new head coach Mike Bobo have helped Bo Nix along where he can make some corrections to his game because he can be frustrating to watch. There are some moments where – he shows his potential, and then there's our moments where he's just scrambling for his life and doesn't look down the field. But uh, and, that, and you know, in the SEC, you gotta you need the consistency. You know, and like you said, like the talent's there. We can see the talent in Bo Nix. You know, I mean, highly recruited guy out of high school. You know, it, it's there. It's just can you put it all together? And hopefully, you know, like you said, you know, like Brian Harson coming in. Hopefully, you know, new coach can kind of. You know, a young guy still can kind of you know grab when he's young and say, "Hey, listen, let's let's develop you a little. Like, let's get you right, you know, and start making reads downfield, not looking to run the ball every single play." But I feel like Bo Nix really wanted to run a lot last year, and that yes. started getting him into trouble a little bit. And and you know, I mean, and you got a running back with Tank Bigby, you know, I mean, like dominate the run game and maybe open a little bit of play action, you know, and open up the pass game a little bit through play action with like with the dominant running back you can you can decoy with, you know, so. Exactly. I, th- I think that's well said. And, you know, if Bo Nix doesn't perform, he has pressure behind him with TJ Finley transferring over from LSU, who apparently right. he's, he's pushed him in, in the fall camp, they said. Uh, Brian Harson has said. But uh, they're gonna, Bo Nix will be the starter starting out. But at least he has some pressure behind him because last year it was, it was Grant Loy, like, you know, transfer from Ma- the MAC conference like he's really putting pressure on Bo Nix so at least he's now got we really we know how that how that works out coming over from the Mac to play some you know power five football (laughs) and now it really worked out well exactly so at least he's got a a player who was you know a three and a half star four star quarterback out of high school um got went to LSU played against Auburn he did not play well against Auburn last year in the game he did play but um at least he's got some pressure now from TJ Finley who is a sophomore but 
we'll see what happens. You know, you, you know some of these familiar teams around the SEC. You know, it's good to have Bo Nix get a little bit of competition. They that pushes them to strive, you know, to to best ability. Obviously, when you have competition like that, you know, it's, it's you or the other guy. You know, you got to win that job. So hopefully, that pushes them a little bit more, like you were saying. Um, guy, I'm kind of excited about for you guys is Drayson Miller over on the defense. Uh, that's one that broke my heart seeing him transfer here from West Virginia. Um, flipped him from LSU over here. Had him for a year, you know, and. Uh, it was hurt the first year, played a, a stellar season last year for us. Not a lot, you know, they got some targets early. And then when teams started figuring out who he was, they started shying away from his side. Um, you know, just a great cover corner, uh, a lot of pass breakups, you know, had one pick last year. Just, you know, but like I said, didn't get the targets halfway through the season. So that's, that's a huge pickup for you guys. You know, I mean, I'd be really excited about him if I was an a Auburn fan, you know. So that's a huge pickup for you guys on the defense side of the ball. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I think he was one of the better uh, transfers that Auburn's gotten um, this past year of the transfer class that they had. And like you said, great uh, off-the-perimeter cornerback. It sounds like from what I'm reading that he'll be the number three corner at the start of the year. Um, maybe yeah. he works his way into being the number two corner because right now it's Roger McCreary as a starter and then Jalen Simpson as the other corner. But I do think the potential Drayshon Miller coming in, and obviously he um, – had such a great year at West Virginia last year. So when I saw him, I knew I was thinking of you when he when I saw, came across my phone that he said he was transferring to Auburn. I did think of you, Joe. So I was like, oh, it's tough for tough for Mountaineers. But um, my heart, you know, two two tough departures on the defensive side of the ball for us was obviously Tyke Smith. You know, one of the best you know defensive backs in the country. Um, you know, he was a he was a playmaker. Drayshon Miller, playmaker. You know, we had the best pass defense in the country last year. It's gonna be hard losing those two guys. To maintain that um but you know we got some young dogs behind behind those guys i'm excited about they're finally getting their shot now with those guys gone you know some transfers like got a young from arizona um daryl porter you know a freshman last year didn't get much playing time but the smith gonna you know came into camp had the highest rating db rating all, all fall camp uh coming into the season won a starting job and you know so now i'm excited about him a lot of young guys on the defense side of the ball i think will still be a top Top 15, top 10 defense. Not going to be as good as we were last year, losing Tyke Smith, Tony Fields, and 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 Drayshon Miller. But you know, there's potential on this team. Young team. We're recruiting really, really well right now. I'm really liking what Neil Brown's doing to this uh, for our program. Um, you know, it, it's exciting. Daigie, hopefully, he takes a step. A lot of good wide receivers, deep at wide receiver. Letty Brown's going to have a breakthrough year this year. Um, Ken Doug Nestor from Virginia Tech on the line is huge for us. So hopefully, you know, we start making this progress. But lose, like you said, losing Drayshon Miller is just it's heartbreaking. You know, it's, it's, it's something you can't really fill. You know, you're like, oh, this guy's going to fill in for Drayson. You know, Drayson did such a big job that you really can't fill that role right away, week one, week two, you know. That's tough. I th- and I think you mentioned Letty Brown. I think he's one of the more underrated running backs in college football. So it's, it's good to see. I think interesting matchup on the road against Maryland right. week one and against uh, Tua's brother at quarterback there, mm-hmm. other with Mike Loxley as head coach at Maryland, but I think it's definitely a winnable game. And with Neil Brown and that defense, I do anticipate it was best defense in the Big 12 last year. Uh, I think mm-hmm. even with those losses, like you said, I think West Virginia will be a force in the Big 12, which we'll see what happens I know in the future for the Big 12 conference with now. Right, right. It's a, we could go into that sometime, another time about it's yeah, crazy. Absolutely. Yeah, we don't have time for that. I hope that could be a next week conversation, Max. But yes, yeah, we'll definitely go into that. Absolutely. But, uh, but no, yeah, like you said, it's fun. You know, it's always fun playing a, a, an old rival like Maryland is, a bordered rival. You know, that we've had with them for a while. Um, cross, uh, you know, cr- really next gate over from us. You know, so I mean, like that's always fun to, to 
start off week one, you get the energy going against the old-time rival that both fan bases will be ready for. You know, both teams are going to be ready for. The culture of this game is uh, a, lot, a lot of history on this game, you know. So that's always fun to open up week one. It's always, you know, get the blood pumping, hopefully, to roll into another rival in two weeks like Virginia Tech. So uh, starting the season off with some uh, old rivals, close rivals, will be good. I think will be good for our football team to get us going into baseball play. Yeah, and I think that's a solid non-conference schedule to have it go up against a Big Ten school in Maryland and then another ACC school in Virginia Tech. Very solid. I gotta give, I'll give credit to West Absolutely. Virginia. Pretty solid uh, two teams to go with in the non-conference schedule. Absolutely. Neil Brown, Neil Brown liked that. You know, he, he said last year, real quick, he said last year, you know, he's like, I, I want to I get our team ready for when we go into Big 12 play. You know, so that's playing as many teams as we can to get us ready. So stacking it up with you know, not top-tier teams, but, I mean, we do have some top-tier contracts coming up, like Penn State, Alabama in the future, uh, going down the road, you know. But, uh, but yeah, like you said, Virginia Tech and, and Maryland, both, you know, credible programs to, to kick off the non-season, uh, non-conference schedule to get you guys, get the guys ready, you know. So, I always like doing that. I always like doing that. I don't want to play, you know, teams that were winning by 50. What's the fun of watching those games right. early on, right? That's Auburn against Akron this weekend. Can't wait. <laughs> hey, That's... at least we get Penn State week. Exactly. That's what... That'll be awesome. I agree. That's the thing. At least Auburn does have a big time, even though they're playing two cupcakes week one too. They do have a big time non-conference at Penn State, like you said. So it makes that, up for it. That Penn State whiteout that makes up for those cupcake games right there. That's a hard, hard environment and game to get ready for. You gotta, you gotta be prepared for that one. For sure, it's so true. I totally agree. Definitely. But all right, Mac. I appreciate the time. Uh, and you know, I'm happy that uh, the Mackey hour is back. You know, looking forward to another great year. Yes, me too. Looking forward to it. Always uh, great to have you on. Looking forward to having you on next week. With uh, we can go into even some more NFL talk next week too. With uh, NFL about to start as well. Definitely, definitely. Good luck to your uh, War Eagle this week one, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, Joe. Good luck to uh, good luck to your Mountaineers. Appreciate it, Max. See you. That was Joe in West Virginia calling in, discuss some college football. With a little Auburn and West Virginia news, West Virginia taking on uh, Maryland. Like you said, cross-state rival, Maryland. The Terrapins this Saturday, that's at 2.30 Central Time, 3.30 Eastern. That's an ESPN game as well. So that'll be an interesting matchup between two non-conference schools for sure. We're going to take another break, but when we come back, we'll, we'll go into some more college football talk. We'll discuss Ohio State in particular. We have one of our Ohio State callers on the line waiting for us. So we'll definitely go into some Buckeyes talk and we'll also discuss some more football as well. You're listening to the Mackey Hour Overtime on WEGL 91.1 FM, and I'm your host, Brent McLaughlin. Hello and welcome back to the Mackey Hour Overtime. I'm your host, Brent McLaughlin, and we have a caller now. It is Chris in Ohio. Chris, welcome back to the show. How's it going, Mackie? I've been uh, counting down the days uh, since the last show. Uh, <laughs> lucky to get back on here. How you been? I've been doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you know, like I just said, I, I, I couldn't wait to, to get back on this. And, you know, I don't think the timing could be more perfect with, uh, you know, me and my Buckeyes. And we got a, you know, season opener tomorrow. You know, we got the, we got the uh, early game. You know, uh, everything started up on Saturday. I know we just got done with week zero. But it's kind of cool that, uh, you know, it's a bummer that, we're not a home opener this year, but it's cool to, you know, almost kind of kick off the entire football season tomorrow. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah, exactly. And it's an interesting one. On the road at Minnesota, and we've seen, you know, Minnesota had kind of a down year last year, but I anticipate Minnesota to have a bounce back here this year under P.J. Flex. So it's a nice, interesting first test on the road for, for C.J. Stroud, at new starting quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to, uh, you know, kind of get your take on what the game you think is going to be like because, like I said, I expect to. Uh, I fully expect for Ohio State to win this one, and I think that they should 
you know, I don't want to say win it easily, but I think that they they'll, they they should win it comfortably. I mean, I think that Minnesota, they, you know, they, they they graduated a couple guys, had a couple of their studs go to the draft. I mean, and, you know, so did we, but I feel like we uh, reloaded pretty well. At, you know, obviously, C.J. Stroud's looking very promising. We saw him get a little bit of action last year. Uh, you know, he didn't throw the ball at all during the season, but he did have that 40-plus yard uh, touchdown run against Michigan State. That's and right. then, uh you know, he looked great in the spring game. I think he had two touchdowns for us. So he's something really, you know, he's, he's going to be uh, exciting to watch. And then, you know, our wide receiver core is uh, the same as last year. So, you know, it, because of that, I think that they're going to be even better because just another year experience for Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and we got some of the young guys who are going to be getting some more action too now, like Julian Fleming. So it's going to be, uh, you know, I, I definitely think it's uh, one, of, one of the tougher opening tests that we've had in, in recent years. You know, it's not, we don't necessarily have the, the cupcake week to start off. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, how, how, uh, how fast we get back into it. But like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident going into this one and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I, I can see possibly since it's Stroud's first career start that maybe he, he starts off slow, the offense, but I anticipate the offense. There's just so much talent on offense that and Stroud has a lot of talent himself that the offense will get going. I think this will be, it's a good first test. Like you said, Steph, Having to face a cupcake going on the road against an conference opponent is nice to see, but I, I like Ohio State in this game and for the rest of the season the Big Ten because I myself personally I think they're the favorite uh, to win the Big Ten this year. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, I think because we just touched on the offense, obviously, uh, but I think that the defense is going to be uh, is going to be better this year as well. Um, I know that we graduated, uh, obviously. Tough Borland, Pete Warner, a linebacker, but I think that our D backs are going to be much more experienced this year. Uh, Seven Banks, I, I think he's going to be, um, you know, re- really step it up this year. One more year under his belt, got to, uh, you know, get get some good experience last year. Went had had a deep run, and that's that's great for a young guy. And now he gets to come, you know, kind of kind of put it back together this season. So I'm really looking forward to that and the rest of the DBs. And I think that the uh, the front line is going to going to look really good again. Um, I'm, I'm anxious to see Jack Sawyer. I don't think he will be getting the start necessarily, but I think he'll have a, you know, a, a, a massive role in the defense this season, kind of like uh, Chase Young when it was, uh, I believe, when I was a freshman. So that's when Nick Bosa was Rain still Bosa, there. Yeah. Uh, Chase, Chase Young was, he, he didn't start, but he was heavily involved. Like he was on the field probably out of, uh, out of if there was, if there's 30 defensive plays, he's out there for probably 20. So I kind of expect the same thing for Jack Sawyer there. So, very interesting, you know, to see how that plays out. And like you said, um, the guy, I mean, I, I, you know, I just kind of alluded to it and then you kind of reiterated it. But, you know, not having a cupcake week, I kind of actually like that because if we didn't uh, – I, I think if we didn't have a test this week, it would be uh, even harder going and, you know, having, having Oregon come to town uh, two weeks. You know? Oh, yeah. So it's kind of nice to kind of – because if you went from, say, Tulsa to Oregon, that's a big jump. Now I think that we can kind of gear ourselves a little bit and prepare ourselves a little more with Minnesota because that's a little bit of a – a closer jump from Minnesota to Oregon, you know? So I think that's, that's, that's pretty big there and something I'm pretty, pretty excited about and, and thankful for. Um, but, you know, uh, kind of building off that Oregon-Ohio State game, that's a, that's a huge game right there that could, you know, determine some, uh, some college football playoff implications because I would have to think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but is Oregon the favorite in the Pac-12? I would right s- now probably. Or, or, I mean, I guess without that Ohio State game being there, to possibly, you know, not derail Oregon season, but, you know, put them in a hole early. Would Oregon be the favorite in the Pac-12? I would say Oregon, and then probably if they're right up there with USC, but I would say Oregon's yeah, the, their yeah. favorite to come out of their division to, to make the Pac-12 yeah, championship. Yeah, I agree. So, like I said, it's, 
I think that this game is, uh, you know, one that's going to have massive playoff implications. Uh, and, you know, not, not to kind of, you know, change gears a little bit, but still stay on the college football topic, I think there's a couple of games this weekend like that. You have Clemson, Georgia, which is possibly the biggest game that we've seen on week one in I don't even know how many years. Yeah, really? That's, that's, that's a huge game. It's, it's awesome. It's going to be crazy to watch. I, I really don't know who's going to win that one. I, I, who, who, who do you think? That's a tough one. It's, I go back and forth. It's being played in Charlotte, so a neutral site game. I want to lean Clemson. I think DJ Ungle, toughest last name to pronounce. I'll eventually get that down. But I like what he's shown in the flashes. He's had some playing time last year. I'm going to lean Clemson right now, though I think this Georgia team is one of the best offenses they've had in years. I think they yep. finally, you know, Jake Fromm had his moments, especially the year they went to the national championship game, but he really regressed after that. And then last year they were just, before JT Daniels got healthy, you know, playing, you know, the people they were playing at quarterback were ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bennett, the third one. I want to ask you who, do you, who do you think needs this one more? I mean, to me, I want to say maybe Clemson needs it more because I think that, Later in the season, Georgia will have more opportunities to kind of build build their resume back up, you know, because Georgia obviously, if they lose this, they'll still have a, a shot at Florida, right? And then they, if they, if you know, if they make it all the way, they'll probably make it to the SEC championship against right. you know, Alabama, Auburn, whoever makes it there. I would assume so. They feel like they have some bounce back opportunities, but if if Clemson, you know, loses this one. You know, it's it's tough to say because if there's a lot of teams that are probably going to go undefeated this year. I think Ohio State can go undefeated. I think Alabama can go undefeated. You you think oh, Oklahoma probably probably will in the pack in the Big Twelve will go undefeated. You know? so it's it's kind of interesting to see. Uh, you know, if there's if there's two one loss teams or something like that, who who would get in? You know, exactly. And for the exact reason, I think Clemson does need it more because you look at their schedule. I know it's out of the preseason top twenty five. They don't face another ranked team after Georgia. It's just they only have one preseason ranked top twenty five team on the schedule right now, and that's Georgia. Yeah. And as you mentioned, mm-hmm. Georgia's still gonna play. Like you said, Florida, they'll play at Auburn, so that's a big test in a tough environment. And then if they make yep. the SEC championship game, like you said, they'll play Alabama. So a lot, a lot, they have such a tough schedule that they can build back from it. Um, so yeah, even if they yeah, have one or absolutely. two losses, you know, two losses would be tough, but they have yep, such a tough yep. schedule that they can make up for it. But like you said, Clemson, who could probably still win, the, they'll probably still win the ACC uh, this year. Like you said, if they lose this game, though. It's gonna be really yeah, interesting. It'll be tough. It's, it's gonna be. Interesting they, don't, one. they don't play. They don't play Notre Dame this year either, right? I they, don't think so. They don't. I was just looking at the schedule. They yeah, do not. Yeah. So that's so that's the thing. It's just it's gonna be tough. Like if you if you drop a game, then you're totally depending on winning out and having strength of schedule. And I just don't know if Clemson would have that if they were to lose this game. Whereas Georgia, obviously Georgia still has a brutal road ahead. They could drop two or three more games after Clemson right. were to lose. But they had the opportunity to make up for a loss there, if, they, if you know, if if that did happen. So it's, it'll be interesting to see. And then uh, last game I just wanted to touch on was, um, what, what are your thoughts on uh, Miami and Alabama? Because I have I see a lot of people betting on Miami to to win that game and to to you know go all the way because Miami I guess has a pretty easy schedule as well this year. Um, I don't think that they play Clemson. I'm, right? I don't think. Right, I don't think Unless so. it wasn't the ACC championship. Correct. It would have to be ACC championship. Okay, yeah. So, 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 you know, I'm, you know, people have Miami at, if they were to win that game, having a really successful year. But me personally, I just don't see them standing any chance against Alabama. I, I agree. I, 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 because we saw a few years ago, it was like three years ago, Miami played LSU. 
in uh, yeah. first game of the year, and I, you know, I was pulling for Miami, and they just got blown out in that game yeah, against yeah. LSU. And I think Miami with Derek King at quarterback, preseason Heisman candidate. Uh, I like Miami's roster, but if they were facing, say for example, if they were facing Georgia in this game, I would like Miami more. But Miami facing yeah. Alabama, and I know it's you know Bryce Young's just now being coming the starter now. Even with that, they're just so talented, Alabama. Yep, I got yep. I got to pick Alabama in that game. I, yeah, yeah. Maybe Miami yeah, covers, not, not, yeah. but yeah, it's I a think nice and half. Miami could cover. I, what, I don't know the spread on it, but I'm I'm sure they probably could cover. But like you said, you you alluded to that uh, LSU game, and I'm pretty sure was it last year or two years ago that they opened up against Florida, and I'm pretty sure they they that's right. The they lost Florida, that game I? too. I think they yeah. did, they lost pretty, against Florida yeah. as well. So it, does, it doesn't it doesn't seem like um, you know Miami fares too well in these you know you know. These prime time or season openers against the SEC teams, you know. So right. the, uh, definitely one that I'm definitely going to watch, you know. And I, I hope it's a good game. And uh, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing Miami win that one, but I just don't know. Me, and, you me know, like too. Said, Bryce Young, Bryce Young, there's a question mark there because he's, uh, you know, his first year. But I don't think that he. he I think he's going to look like he's been there for ten years. Honestly, it's like I don't think that these uh, rookie Alabama quarterbacks ever look like they, they that they're uh, they don't belong there. You know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Is that. That's why I think it's just even yeah. Oh, you think oh, there's gonna be an adjustment period. It seems with Alabama, there's never there's just a, a clean transition from one quarterback to the next. So even yeah. even with Miami having one of their better defenses and Manny Diaz, their head coach, being a defensive minded head coach. That all being said, I just Alabama's so talented that I think they'll yep. win this game too. But it's a yeah, cool ma- it's a cool matchup, sure. I'll say Miami yeah, cool Alabama. Match- sure, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, there's some. There's some really cool games to watch this this uh this opening week and this this entire season. So I'm really uh, I'm really looking forward to it, you know. Me too. And then also in the, like another one more game in the Big Ten between uh, Wisconsin, Penn State, and that's two top twenty teams going against each yeah. other too. That's gonna be another yeah. interesting one. Absolutely, yeah. It's gonna be uh it's definitely one to watch because something like that could definitely impact you know the Buckeyes down the road in terms of you know strength of schedule and uh, you know. Who are you playing a one-loss team? Are you playing an undefeated team down the road? Who you get like is are you going to get Wisconsin in the, in the Big Ten championship if you get there? You know, it's just this game has a ton of implications. And right now, you don't you know you just kind of you're going to sit back and watch the game and see what happens. But it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out and how it impacts stuff down the road. So we'll see. For sure, yeah, I think definitely probably the best Week One college football schedule uh, game slate of games I can remember for sure. There's a lot of exciting matchups. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, like I said, that was just uh, you know to kind of wrap up here because I'm sure you got another call to get to. But well, this, this is the perfect timing to kick the Mackey Hour. Uh, you know, kick it back off this year with uh, Week One of college football, and it, it, it couldn't be a better slate of games for us to talk about. And I'm sure next week we're going to be recapping this, looking ahead to uh, Week Two, and you know my Buckeyes in Oregon, and then we got NFL the, the day after. So it's, it's going to you know we're going to be busy here on the Mackey Hour. I know you're going to have a lot of calls and a lot of stuff to talk about. Right? <laughs> you know it. You know it's exactly. You know, college f- football season is the busiest part of the show. There's so many things to talk about with NFL and college football. So exciting time That's of the awesome. year. Absolutely, yeah. Well, uh, Max, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you next week. Uh, enjoy the rest of your show, and uh, you know, good luck to uh, good luck to all your teams and stuff this week. I appreciate. It. Same to you to your Buckeyes tomorrow night. Yep. Thank you. Appreciate it, Mac. I'll catch you. That was Chris in Ohio calling in to discuss uh, the big Ohio State-Minnesota game tomorrow night. That really kicks off uh, this weekend's slate of games. And then just the matchup between Georgia and Clemson, which I, I keep going back and forth on. 
because Georgia has such a great defense, and everyone, it feels like this would be the year for Georgia uh, to go, return to the college football playoff with their quarterback situation with JT Daniels, who is a, a good quarterback. He was good at USC before the injury, and then when he was finally healthy after transferring to Georgia, played great last season. I'm optimistic for them, but I just feel like in Dabo Sweeney has a slight edge over Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart always seems to come up short in some of these big games, so I give Dabo Sweeney the edge. And, you know, DJ Ungale, uh, you know, we saw him struggle against some defenses last year in the few games he played when Trevor Lawrence was out. He struggled a little against Notre Dame, but now the full offseason under his belt and being the full-time starter, it's going to be a great game. Could be pretty low scoring. I think it will be under 30 points each side, but I will lean Clemson in this matchup over Georgia. A lot of exciting games. And then, of course, the Alabama-Miami game. I think Alabama will win. I'll be pulling for Miami, of course. But I think Miami could possibly make it close. I think they'll cover the 19.5-point spread, but I think Alabama will win this game because they're just, just a talented team. They're the most talented team in the country every year. We're going to take one more break, and when we come back, we'll continue to take your calls as we wrap up the show. You're listening to the Mackey Hour Overtime on WEGL 91.1 FM. And I'm your host, Brent McLaughlin. Hello and welcome back to the Mackey Hour Overtime. I'm your host and sports doctor, Brent McLaughlin. And to wrap up our show, we have a caller. It is Michael from Washington, D.C. Michael, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on. Yes, always great to have you on. And we'll begin with some Auburn football. So this weekend, taking on Akron this weekend from the Mac. Um, so obviously this kind of a warm-up game for Auburn. For me personally, I'm most intrigued to see how the offense performs, new offense under Brian Harson and Mike Bobo, pro style, much more different than Gus Malzahn's offense. I still think it will be run heavy because of that's, you know, the strength of this team is Tank Bigsby. But I'm very intrigued to see how Bo Nix performs in this new offense. And obviously if he struggles for multiple games, he's got pressure behind him with TJ Finley, the LSU transfer. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the main focus, the whole goal of the season is what is this offense going to look like? You know, obviously outside of what's the end, at the end of the day, what's the record? That's something that I also want to talk to you about. What is the record? I saw the prediction, I think, today in ESPN.com was for them to go 6-6. Six and six. That is not good. What now, is the, what, how, how is the Auburn family feeling going into the season so far, and what are the actual expectations? That's that's the thing. Um I don't think people would be happy with six and six. I think also people people appreciate that you know this is Brian Harson's first season as head coach at Auburn. I don't think anyone has national championship aspirations. I think people are realistic in that standpoint, but I think people do expect to get a few big wins to win one or at least two of these big time games, whether that be against Penn State or at on the road against LSU, which I think is a winnable game, but also Auburn hasn't won at LSU in forever. It's talent-wise, I think it's a winnable game, but Auburn just never plays well at LSU in Death Valley. And then, of course, later, and then on the road against Texas A&M, that's tough. And then home games against Georgia and Alabama. I think, ideally, Auburn wins two of those games, and I think the fan base would be happy. But I think 7-5, and 8-4 and four would be my prediction. I think 8-4 and four would be a stretch. I'm going to go with 7-5. and five. Why is it a stretch? Why is the team this... Uh, lack this much talent. I don't think it's necessarily a talent issue, especially on defense. What's the problem? I think, well, I, if you could say it's the, the offense. Are a good record. I think it's both. Well, maybe okay. the thing is, we'll see what happens. 
Bo Nix possibly, maybe Gus Malzahn's coaching of him was not good and has hindered Bo Nix's development because he was a four-star and some people were having him as a five-star quarterback coming out of high school. So maybe Brian Harson. Brian Harson. Exactly. That. That's ideally, if he does right away, then this could be a 9-10 win team. I just think, you know, I think what we've seen from Bo Nix gives us some hesitancy. Hopefully Brian Harson brings that out of Bo Nix that because he has the potential to with the physical traits. But um, it's also, you know, a tough schedule for sure. You got one, a, a really tough non-conference game at Penn State, which will be a whiteout game. going to be one of the toughest road environments to play in. That's going to be a tough game. But, you know, also, it's I think they could beat LSU for sure because I don't think there's a big talent difference between Auburn and LSU. Auburn dominated LSU last season, blew them out. Of course, I was also at Jordan-Hare Stadium. But I think that's a winnable game if – if Bo Nix shows so much progress and Auburn returns all five starters to the offensive line, so that's a positive, I think they could win nine or ten win games. I think that's being very optimistic, and they have the talent to do it. Do they put it together? We'll see. I think it all comes back to the offense. The defense will have Auburn in every game. There's people honking horns over there in D.C., it sounds like. Yeah, I don't know. They're just more concerned about your opinions, I think. I guess so. They're color. It sounded like. You know, I thought you were the sports doctor, but right now, sometimes you sound like the Auburn excuse maker. <laughs> just this and that. I thought we brought Brian Hart to uh, fix this offense. I, I think that's I the hope. So Nick's just starting, and I thought that, you know, he needs to be fixed. I think you maybe have to have some patience, too. And I think, obviously, I, I, I want to win. I want to win, too. Patience. 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 Didn't we just get rid of the. Gus Malzahn because of 8 and 4, 7 and 5 was too common? Yes, but also, you know. For another hand, for say what Texas A and M, Jimbo Fisher didn't come in and they won nine, ten games right away at Texas A and M. It took him a few. Even Jimbo Fisher, who now just became the second highest paid uh, head coach in college football, um, it took him some time at Texas A and M. How many years am I supposed to be given of my life to watch uh, mediocre and poor football? <laughs> Good question. We have one more minute left in the show, so I'll I'll wrap it up with here. I think you give him two at least one or two years. I think you maybe after year two, the expectation should be win ten games. I think if maybe they surprise us, they have the talent, they could win ten games. But it's a tough schedule, and he's a first year. He's been a head coach, obviously at Boise State, but first year at a new school, it will be. It's not going to be. Oh, he comes in and they're going to win right away. We'll see though. I'm optimistic. I think he's a good head coach. I, I like the hire. We'll see how he does. Well, you know what? We'll add a little positive, a little positivity there. You know, I'm excited for the season and the last, and hopefully, you know, they do a little bit better than what you're expecting. That would be great to see. I hope Thank so. You for having me on. Thank you, Michael. Great having you on. We'll definitely discuss more next week as well. Sounds good. That was a Michael in Washington D.C. calling in to wrap up our show, discuss some Auburn football. So, you know, we'll get into it more next week as we're running low on time, but. I'm optimistic, but we'll, we'll see. You know, this is a good warm-up game against Akron. We'll see how the offense does in its first game under Brian Harson. That just about wraps up our show. I'd like to thank all of our callers for calling in to the first episode of Season 4. Excited and glad to be back. And football season, a lot to discuss. You can catch us next Wednesday from 3 to 5. I'm Brendan McLaughlin, the Sports Doctor. See you then.